Welcome back to the post-match podcast, episode six. I'm delighted to say that we have Josh Bunting back with us today. Josh has taken on a lot of football over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to get into that now. Uh, so we had, uh, over the course of the end of the football league season, we had three playoff finals in three days. Luton began on the Saturday by um, winning uh, against Coventry City on penalty shootout, ending their 31 exodus from the top flight of English football nine years after promotion back into the Football League. Uh, Stephen off a comeback after extra time, um, 6-5 against Coventry. Um, what a story to begin with, Josh, for, for Luton Town. Yeah, um, an insane story. And I think, you know, when you reflect on it, I think they have obviously deserved to, to get promoted. 46 games a season and they finished third. So they really were the best of, you know, the rest. Obviously Burnley, Sheffield United and convincing fashion and get promoted and, and Luton come third and they got the job done but yeah look amazing story Luton you know not in in the the depths of the conference league not so long ago and you know neither in the in preparing for their first ever season in the, in the Premier League so you know it's unbelievable so as soon as the game was over, there was actually a lot of talk in the build-up. Everyone was fascinated by Kenilworth Road. Have you been there, Josh? I know you've been to a lot of grounds. I've actually never been there. I've, to be honest with you, there's only two championship clubs from this current season's ground that I haven't been in. And they're actually both two rivals, Luton being one. And obviously, if you're a big football fan, you can guess the other. It's Watford. So <laughs> I've, I've never been to either of those two grounds. And I was sort of thinking, you know, when I went to penalties, I was thinking if Coventry win here, I think Luton is in a way that I would love to do next season. Um, mm-hmm. But then obviously Luton, you know, they produce and, and, they, and they go up. But I've never been to that ground before. And um, it looks like we're running out of opportunities to, to really go there as they're getting a the new stadium. And, That's right. Uh, you know, Luton, uh, obviously they're going to have to do it up before going into the Premier League here as the season kicks off in August. So, no, I've never been to the ground before, but it still is one that's on my bucket list. But um, next season, I think it's going to be an absolute miracle to, to get a single ticket for for that place because it'll be packed out every week with top flight, top flight football. Um, another man who made the headlines uh, for a remarkable story was Pelle Roddick and Panzi, uh, the first man to go from non-league all the way to the Premier League with one club. What was your thoughts on that, Josh? Yeah, it's insane, you know, and you say that, you know, loyalty in football isn't so uh, popular nowadays. Um, but, you look, you know, it's an incredible achievement. It's an incredible feat, you know, and legendary status gets chucked around so often in football, but I mean, you got to say he, he is a, a Luton legend and, he, and he, he's contributed massively, even this season in the championship. He's been a big, big player. Um, he's adapted to Rob Edwards' system really, really well. And, you know, it says a lot about the character of him and the quality of him. When Luton have had managers and he stayed in the team that long, you know, team managers come and like, like to shape sort of their new team and they have new ideas. But for, for him to stay in that team from all those managers is a, is a real credit to him. And Josie must have a lot about him um, and, and a lot of attitude. A great attitude. Yeah, you, you mentioned there about character. Um, Luton, uh, a few times in the last couple of years, they've had managers leave for what they thought was a bigger job. Um, that, that hasn't really worked out, but it hasn't stopped them in their tracks at all. 
um, Nathan Jones most recently going to Southampton. So they've actually swapped places this year, Josh. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Rob Edwards, he kind of had a point to prove going into Luton. He just got sacked by Watford. And I was surprised when he was appointed by Luton. I thought, you know, he's just got sacked by your biggest rivals. And I wasn't I wasn't sure how he would go. But he, he just adapted like a Dr. Water. He was, you know, his style of football stood, stood them perfectly down to the ground. And um, credit to him. He uh, tactically he was excellent. I went to the game at the Stadium of Light in the league when we when Sunderland drew one one of them, and I thought they were they were flat that day. I must say I didn't think they were great, but they went one a lot mistake by Anthony Patterson who had a great season and that's for Sunderland. That was a it was a rare mistake, but even that day they didn't play all that well, but they were just so hard to to break down. They were so well organized. Um, Sunderland scored through a penalty that I can safely say now it just wasn't a penalty um, that Ahmad Hallow stepped up and, and, and tucked away but um, you know I think Rob Edwards has, has done a fantastic job he's made them hard to beat He's but they get on the front foot they're aggressive and you know they've got so many strengths that they can play to next season they're going to have to shake their game up a little bit it's going to be much more difficult against obviously better teams but you know I think Kenilworth Road and I, I would hate to be the first visitors there next year when the Premier League fixtures come out because you, 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 can, like just, you, can, you can just picture it being Arsenal on a Friday night. You know, they'll, they'll pick someone like that. They always sort of do that, don't they? Um, yeah. I think a few Arsenal fans already alluded to that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Arsenal. And, you know, you've got those flashbacks to Brentford um, a few seasons back. At, uh, so, you know, yeah. Really, really looking forward just to see how Luton get on the Premier League, and everyone's thinking, "Oh, they're going to go straight back down." And um, I think that's quite unwise to say because you know we thought Brentford were going to come straight back down, and they've adapted really, really well. Um, obviously Bournemouth as well. Bournemouth have done a great, had a great season. Um, yeah, so really, really interesting times. One, one final thing, just on uh, on the playoff final in the championship, so. You mentioned about character and, and handling setbacks. What impressed me about Luton was as well, key player Tom Lockyer went off after 12 minutes. You know, this we saw the pictures after of him, you know, in hospital, thumbs up. But, you know, that, that was a real challenge for the team to, to come back after that huge setback such early in a big final at Wembley. 100%. And he's, Tom Lockyer has been one of Luton's most influential players this year. He obviously scored against Sunderland in that playoff semi-final second leg. But, he got it at Team of the Year for a reason. He's been so, so solid at the back. And, you know, he's a leader. He wins everything. He protects the box so, so well. And he's a threat in the opposition box. So, to lose, like, an influential leader, if you want to say that, so early on in the game was, was a damaging blow. But I actually think, you know, that could have inspired the, the players to really bounce on and saying, right, we'll go and do it for him. Um, and Coventry are a good side. Like, Coventry, fair play to them, they more than played their part in that final. I actually thought they were the better team for the second half and most of the extra time period. I just thought, I'll be honest, I'm going to stick my neck out and say I actually thought Coventry would have won that game. I just thought the pitch was, was better for for, for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, you know, at the Stadium of Light against uh, Sunderland in the playoff semi-final of the first leg, I thought out wide, someone destroyed looking at the times. And I thought Coventry would would do the same. 
Um, but fair play, look, they were just so compact, really well organised, and their adaptability um, when Lockyer came off was was a key point in, in how they went on to win that game. Yeah, and the, the, finally on, on Luton uh, as well, it, it will be uh, brilliant, really exciting to see how they fare next year. Uh, but there was an interesting quote from one of the uh, Luton fans who rang in to uh, TalkSport just after they, they got promoted. And they really passionately said, we need to protect the football pyramid. This wouldn't be possible without the, the structure that's in place. And Luton have done that in, in less than nine years. Something that Wrexham would like to do, you would expect Wrexham to have backing. Luton have done it really, you know, they haven't really done it with financial backing. They've just, just done it with real togetherness and a lot of heart. So, Josh, that takes us on to the second playoff final of that Magic Weekend. And this one, you weren't originally meant to be going to this game, but... You, Josh being Josh, he told me before we went on air here, he's actually attended 212 football games this season, believe it or not. But if, if you know Josh well, you will believe it. But Josh, so tell, tell us how that came about. You know, you're, you're in London. You were meant to be going to the, the game on the Monday, um, but you managed to decide to get an extra game in while you were there. Yeah, um, so obviously I went with some of my friends. Uh, big shout out to Jordan Moore, if he's listening, and Chris Pollock. Um, so I went with... Um, some of my friends and um yeah, I uh, I said to him, I said I can get a stockboard ticket there um for the final uh, against um Carlisle United and my friends from university, Nick, Nick Pratt again if you're listening, he's a big stockboard fan. So I said, you know, I'm in London here, like I'm, I'm gonna go to this game and um the ticket wasn't so bad. I think it was forty six pounds actually, which is which for a playoff final is is good. Um, just just, I, just to interrupt you on that point, Joyce, because we, we were actually just talking there about the price of tickets just before we come on there. And Northern Ireland are playing Kazakhstan in a few weeks' time, and the ticket there is £45, you know, and that, that that's just not on, you know, Wembley finals. Um, so really what I'm saying is that's, that is a very fair price indeed for, for a Wembley final of any sort. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, you know, £46, and the seat was, was good. It was... Uh, like usually you expect that type of price to be up in the gods but no I was uh, right down quite low um, second here um, just behind the net near the corner flag um, so yeah I thought really really good price and I thought you know yeah I'll go watch Stockport and Carlisle which was a game that I gotta say I really enjoyed it for the Stockport County fans atmosphere I thought on the pitch I thought for a good majority of it it was quite cagey it was it wasn't slow I think that's being unfair but I just didn't think the quality was great in terms of the final pass and I thought um, not Stockport controlled a good portion of the first half they obviously went ahead and then in early in the second half Akeel Wright went off injured and I thought that was the real turning point to be honest I thought he was winning the ball back he was retaining possession well for Stockport and Stockport you know, he was the one that was sort of getting them on the front foot and turned over the ball, but he came off. And when he came off, I thought Stockport went too deep in, in their game. I thought they thought, OK, we're 1-0 up. We'll just try to see it out. Um, Paul Simpson makes a couple of substitutions. He brought on um, Jordan Gibson. Um, for and, and he just completely, for me, you know, he changed the game for Carlisle. He was absolutely exceptional. Um out wide, you know, Carlisle were much better when he was on, much more pace and much more intensity. And 
opened Carlisle up, or uh, opened Stockport up a few times, and they deservedly got their equaliser near the end. Um, Omari Patrick, really good finish because you know he didn't actually have much time to hit it, and it was one of those that you know you can just shank it really easy. You can hit it wide or over, but he placed it perfectly into the bottom corner, and it was at that time you thought, yeah, Carlisle did deserve to be back level. And then extra time, Stockport grow back into the game slightly. Um, but Carlisle always sort of looked to have that threat on the attack. And then it obviously fizzles out a little bit. Both sides settle for penalties. It's a lottery. And at the end of the day, you know, Thomas Holy is the hero for, for Carlisle. He saves, he saves the penalty. And Carlisle are, are, are in League One, which is an amazing story in itself. You know, Paul Simpson... First full season back in management at Carlisle. First of all, last season he came in, in February when they were really struggling and um, saved them from going down to the National League. Um, and now, you know, his first full season back from kidney cancer, which is a big thing in itself. Never mm-hmm. mind, you know, managing a team. But, you know, such a good manager, Paul Simpson, in League One. And, and I don't mean it in any disrespect to, to Carlisle. I think he is a manager who is bigger than what he the level he's managing on but yeah I think he's done a, a fantastic fantastic job there and uh, you mentioned before about the you're in the Stockport County and the atmosphere just what was that like what was that like around you going into the, the penalty shootout yeah no it was amazing I have to say I thought the Stockport fans were absolutely fantastic they're a big club and you know I actually think people all um, underestimate just sort of how big Stockport are. They are um, historically quite a big club, got a great fan base. So, yeah, when it went in the penalties, I was actually sitting beside a fan. I had a Sunderland jacket on and he was asking me, oh, you're a, you're a neutral or or what? So, obviously, you no, know, I explained that like, I'm a Sunderland supporter, my friend's here, he's a Stockport fan, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I just said to him before the penalty shootout started, I was thinking very much of a Sunderland head on. I said, look, you were in the same, you're in a similar position as us. He said, you got promoted last, I said, you got promoted last season, your first season up back in the, back in the, the football league, you've finished in the playoff zone and now you're a penalty shootout away from, from League One football. I said, no matter what happens here, you've had an amazing season. Um, and it wasn't to be, obviously for Stockport, you know, it, it, it wasn't to be, but they can have so many positives going into the summer. You know, the recruitment's going to be better this summer. Um, they've got a foothold back in the football back in the football league and they're gonna have a really, really good crack at you know promotion again um for for this incoming season, 23-24. I have no doubt about that. But atmosphere wise, I was generally very, very good, I have to say. Really, really impressed. Yes, definitely definitely sounds like you got your value for your money uh, at the final, Josh. I'm, I'm- Best of luck to Carlisle in the League One next year and Stockport County. Give it another crack, maybe aim for the playoffs again and see how that goes next year. So that was the second of the playoffs. So at this stage now, Josh, um, there's been 240 minutes of football, um, two penalty shootouts so far. You then were the original plan. You were at the the third final on, on the bank holiday Monday, which was Sheffield Wednesday versus Barnsley. Josh, at this game, there, were, there was controversial decision early on in the game that you probably thought, well, I can't see this game 
going all the way to 100 uh, to 120 minutes after the red card. So talk us through what it was like. I think I'm right in saying you were in the Barnsley end uh, from the Barnsley yeah. Sheffield Wednesday final. What 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 was the atmosphere like uh, there? Bearing in mind, you know, Barnsley and Sheffield Wednesday they're not used to VAR, so big decision there that, that potentially had to change the game. Yeah, no, I love this game. Um, I went with Chris. Um, you know, he came with us. He he didn't go to the Stockport game. I went on that on my own. But no, me and Chris, we went to the Barnsley match against Sheffield Wednesday. And the atmosphere, as soon as we as soon as we got anywhere near Wembley, it was outstanding. Um, like I mean, Sheffield Wednesday, amazing fan base. Like credit to them. And I'll be honest with you, I said before a ball was sort of kicked this season. I want the Sheffield Wednesday to go back to the championship. I think, you know, there's similar I don't want to keep blabbing on about Sunderland, but there's really, really similarities between Sheffield Wednesday and Sunderland, you know. Yeah, Sleeping Giant, you could say. Um the fan like League One, we were in there for, for years. They were in there for for two full seasons and obviously we got promoted in the the end of the second one there. Um, so look, I, I think you know they are the fans was, was unbelievable. The atmosphere was brilliant. Um, on the VAR side, yeah, neither of those two sides are really used to it. And when the decisions were being made, for example, you know Sheffield Wednesday had a goal; it was disallowed, and uh, nobody really understood what was going on. Again, the communication needs to be much better with the on-field referee and VAR and, and the fans because no one really had a clue what was happening. As yeah. for the red card for Adam Phillips, yeah, um, I think it was red, to be honest. I think, you know, he does... I think in, in, in modern-day football, it is a red card. I think if you were looking at it maybe two, three seasons ago, you're probably saying, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a yellow and probably a strong yellow at that. But I think, you know, in modern-day football, the fact that he does lunge in, he is high, he is off the ground. I think it is a red card. Obviously, Barnsley, I think, also should have had a penalty too. Um, I think it was as clear as day. And that's, again, I'm sick of saying it because it's so boring. But, you know, the inconsistencies of VAR was just on show once again. Um, but, yeah, that was a special day, to be fair. I think, you know, on the balance of the game, I actually thought Barnsley were better side. Um, uh, I thought when Barnsley were with just 10 men, I thought they were the better team for until, you know, extra time. And at extra time, you know, once they started to take over, because I think the Barnsley players were just dead on their feet. It was a warm day as well. Wembley, it's a huge pitch. And when you're down to 10 for so long and, you know, you, the backs are against the wall, you are going to fade. And mentally, I think they faded as well. And then obviously the goal comes from from Josh Windass. Three seconds of extra time to go. Um, it's a great ball in, and and it's a really good header from you know, from uh from Windass. But you know, one player that to be fair that well, I thought was absolutely incredible was Eastat and 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 goal for Barnes. One of the generally one of the best goalkeeping performances I've seen live. Uh, I thought he was absolutely insane. The save that he made from Michael Smith is is just sensational. When the ball came, the Smith, you're like, you know, he is he is clinical finisher. He uh, when the ball came into him in the box, I just thought that's going to be a goal, and he somehow just clawed it away. Sensational save, but yeah, um, 
I think Barnsley are in, a, are in a great position for next season. I really do. I think, you know, Barnsley are definitely on for, you know, top two next year. And that's going to be my early shot of the season. I actually do think they will finish in there. Uh, I just think, you know, Michael Duff's a good manager. I think, you know, they've got the squad to, to really push on. And just before we came on to record this, they've already made their first signing of the summer. So they were they're already recruiting, you know, and and, and Roney in early June. So they're prepared for next season. They're, they're they're getting ready. As for Sheffield Wednesday, yeah, I think again over the basis of the season, they probably do deserve to go up. Obviously, they had that absolute shocker against Peterborough away from home, and then obviously the magical turnaround. Um, but I think over the course of the season, I think. I, I could be wrong here, but I think Wednesday finished what ten points clear of Barnsley or something like that. Yeah. Um so yeah, like on on the balance of the whole season, then yeah, I think Wednesday deserved it to go up. But yeah, it was a great day. Um especially if you're a neutral like I was. It was yeah, it was it was really cool. Yeah, um world of emotions for Sheffield Wednesday fans. You know, we spoke about it the last time. We were on, you know, four four nil down from the first leg. Not not many people gave them a chance. Um, then they already find themselves playing against ten men for, for a long time. Ten, playing against ten men is, as you know, not not easy. Um, but we avoided a third penalty shootout in three days, Joyce, with, with that goal. Like I said, three seconds before the end of the game. So it was incredible. Um, not not many stadiums around the world would be able to host three games in three days. So big big credit to, to everyone involved at Wembley for that. So that was the, the sort of bank holiday weekend. We did have the cup final in England on Saturday at three o'clock. Josh, however, you had flown out to uh, Holland uh, and you were in Eindhoven for the Women's Champions League final. That actually kicked off at the exact same time. So maybe for a topic for another day, but I think um, that was Wolfsburg versus Barcelona. But, you know, uh, both Manchester teams, Man City and um Manchester United women will be in the Women's Champions League next year. Um, and the men play each other in the, the English FA Cup final. So if one of those teams were in the Women's Champions League final, both kicking off at 3pm, um, probably not ideal that, you know, that, that, that you're taking away maybe some some fans who would like to have watched uh, either both of those games. Really, a lot of fans would like to watch both of those games. What would your thoughts be on that, Josh? Yeah, no, I think, you know, that the FA Cup final and the Women's Champions League final kicking off at three o'clock was obviously a wasn't a great decision, but you know, obviously the FA Cup final, if it wasn't for those two teams, it would have kicked off at twenty past or half five. This it, it would have been it yeah, would have it was been the, 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 the strikes as well, yeah. But yeah, the real strikes too, yeah. So I think, you know, that was obviously the, the, the bigger issue this year. Um but it is what it is, and I think you know if Manchester City, well, they got knocked out in the first qualification round, um, so I think you know, or the second qualification round, sorry, um, off this they didn't even make the Champions League group stage, um, so I think, but but I think if they did get to the final, then yeah, of course, I think it would have been sheer disappointment, um, for those fans to to really get out there, um, but yeah. It it is it is what it is this year and next year will be well hopefully we'll be back to normal but um yeah it's it's obviously not ideal but I think with the real strikes and I think you know with the two Manchester clubs and security and and what have you it it couldn't really be yeah. helped this year. 
Yeah, great, great point, Joyce. So I mean, it wasn't easy for, for everyone involved, but uh, yeah, um, glad. I think I think someone actually paid for a lot of the coaches to get everyone, so everyone did get to the final um, in England. Fine. Back to Eindhoven. So you uh, attended uh, another game um, as a neutral again. Um, what what were your thoughts on that final game of two halves? <laughs> yeah, it was you know Wolfsburg in the first half um, were sensational. They played their game plan an absolute blinder. They were outstanding, and when 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 Payor, you know puts Wolfsburg ahead after three minutes, you're thinking, goodness gracious! And you know you're looking at a last year's Champions League final. You know Barcelona coming into the game against Lyon. Barcelona are coming in as favourites. Lyon, Lyon, the most successful women's team in in, in Europe. Um, but Barcelona were the favourites to go and win that game, and and you still thought Lyon weren't as powerful as they have been or as as, as we thought but then Leon come out and, and, and absolutely sort of pummel them and, 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 and Barcelona defeated in the Champions League final and everyone's like goodness what's happened there so for Barcelona to go one little behind so early you're thinking oh my goodness is it going to happen again like why can't they get this Champions League win over the line and Wolfsburg defensively were excellent they were so well drilled they were so well set up and Barcelona down the sides were just trying everything, but every cross or every every like through ball, it was just getting cut out by Wolfsburg, and you're thinking this cannot break them down. And then it goes two 0 Cross comes in, one of the best balls you'll see in the Champions League this season is played into Alexander Pop, and and you know when she has a free header and goal, she she isn't going to miss it, and it was it was just so well executed. So you, you're thinking 2 0 Wolfsburg at half time. And I actually was with my friend and I turned around to her and I said, if Barcelona score one before the 70th minute, I still think they'll win. And Barcelona came out the second half and just just showed us why they are the best in, in, in Europe. The intensity was so much better. I think they got absolute choke. I actually think they got ripped apart at half time by by the by their manager. I really do. I think Hold a lot of home proofs to be honest. I just think he went through them. I would not have liked to be in that change room at half time because they just came out completely revitalized, more energy, and they scored near nearly instantly. And then two minutes later, another cross comes in and Patry with a header equalized with 2 2. And when Wolfsburg, you know, they conceded two in about two second half minutes, you're thinking, yeah, Barcelona have got, got, got them now in the ropes. And actually, to be fair, I thought, you know, Wolfsburg were going to just completely, their legs were going. I just thought they were just going to completely blow up. But they didn't. They, they regrouped at 2 2. And they actually cre- created a few half chances themselves. And I have to say, fair play to them. Their character was was really good. Um, and Tommy Stroot would, would have been happy with that in the Wolfsburg dugout. And then Barcelona, obviously, they get the, they get the moment. One of, um, one example of really poor defending by Wolfsburg they just panicked they couldn't get rid of it ball comes into the box defender kicks it off her teammate um, and then it eventually falls to former Wolfsburg player uh, Rolfo at the back post uh, and you know she is never going to miss from that position so Barcelona deservedly in my opinion um, win the Champions League and you know 
They've got so much quality. They've got so much potential to even to build on this. But one big thing from that final was Alexia Puteas, who the Ballon d'Or winner. You know, she had an ACL injury. Like she was left on the bench, and Barcelona still managed to go on and win it um, without that depth um, and talent. So, yeah, they're they're going to be very very scary again next season. Just so much quality and so much, you know. As a collective unit, they've just got so much, you know, like the spirit and that team is, is huge as well. Um, and I think that showed on Saturday as well when they came back um, to win the Champions League. But yeah, look, it was very, very well deserved, I think, from Barcelona as a whole. Um, they are just, they're just a phenomenon, to be honest. Yeah, for a long time now, um, especially sort of felt like as, as the, the men's team weren't getting anything right on or off the pitch. Everyone in Barcelona and the surrounding area were behind the ladies' team. You know, the, the new camp was selling out crowds. Yeah. A bit like, you know, the best men's footballers in the English Premier League would have went and signed for Real Madrid or, or Barcelona. You know, like so Lucy Bronze, Kira Welsh playing for Barcelona there. It's, it's, it's one, of, one of the top teams in Europe. What, what about, what was the atmosphere like in Eindhoven before and leading oh. up to the game? Honestly, I'm not, I'm not just saying this, but one of the best atmospheres I've generally experienced. Um, I went to the Barcelona team hotel before the game just to sort of see them, you know, coming out and getting on the bus and go to the stadium. And, um, oh, absolutely insane. Like, there was, you know, pyros and just constant chanting. And, oh, it was, it was unbelievable. And you know what? You wouldn't have thought it was for a women's football match. If you were, if you had no idea about women's football, um, you would have said, "Oh, there's a there's a men's match here." You know, mm-hmm. Barcelona men were playing here, and that's what I loved about it. It was so like it shows you that women's football is on a different planet to what it was on. It just shows you the rise and how remarkable it has become, and you know that's incredible to see. And what I loved about it was, you know, most of the crowd were at, were, were women, and that's mm-hmm. like you know, yeah. women. You don't have to be a man to go and watch football. You don't have to go. Mm-hmm. women can enjoy it and that's what I loved about it that was just yeah. the women were chanting they had their flat uh, it, it, class. Yeah. it has always been one of those arguments you know from men they're saying look you know we, we go and attend the men's games as well and, and there are a lot of men attending women's games and like you said they said you know more women need, need to go to these games um, so it's, it's, it is great to hear that so Josh I don't know whether you know you got uh, you pay for your ticket, you've got a complimentary ticket. But how much would a ticket have cost for that that final? You know, on, on average, in Ireland, do you know? Yeah, well, uh, my ticket was eleven euros sixty or something. Like, <laughs> there you go. Ele- like eleven euros for a Champions League final is absolutely yeah. insane. And you know, I, I I was reading online that you know because the stadium was so was actually quite small. It was thirty six thousand or something, I think, and it was completely sold out. Well, I heard there was there was a tight selling tickets for for about for five hundred to a thousand euro because people were just so desperate to go and get a ticket yeah, for that game. The man so, there. Absolutely insane. Um and I think you know it shows UEFA next year that actually the demand for women's football is there. So let's make it let's get a bigger stadium next year yeah. for it. Well it's I think it's in Sweden next year. But I think it shows that demand is there. Like, let's get these big stadiums on the go. I mean, Wembley's Wembley was seventy thousand in excess for the women's FA Cup final between Chelsea and Manchester United. So it's not just this sport anymore that 
uh, thirty like thirty six thousand will do or twenty thousand will do. Mm-hmm. No, these big stadiums are are going to be needed massively. This game is growing and at a, at a rapid pace. Great, great data, uh, Josh, and we will uh, pick uh, back up on on the women's game uh, in, in the future episodes as well. We do have the, the women's World Cup coming up very soon. Um, so, an interesting story um, over the weekend. There, um, I, I do follow closely some of the other leagues in Europe, but um, I put the kiss of death on Dortmund the week before. I didn't, you know, I didn't say they were going to win. I probably put the the kiss of death on Sebastian Aller, saying he was player of the week and then he missed the penalty on the final day. But in, in Belgium, so what happens is it, it, it's slightly different than the leagues in Scotland and Northern Ireland, but they have a post split. Um, but they have what's called a championship group. So you have four teams in the championship group. So in uh, Belgium, you had Club Rouge last year's championship. Um, they were on 33 points getting into the final day, but the three, three teams were within one point of each other. Uh, Antwerp were joint top with Royal Union um, and Genk were one, one point behind uh, on 45 points. So this is how it panned out. Uh, now, um, the reason I sort of close to this as well, and there is a, an ongoing joke between Spurs fans as well, once you leave Spurs, you sort of win a trophy more or less straight away. Uh, but um, um, Royal Antwerp um, hadn't won the league since 1957. So uh, during, during the games, uh, in the 88th minute, uh, Royal Union were, were winning their game. Uh, against Club Bruges, who, who weren't weren't in the, the title race, um, on the, the then they conceded equaliser, and then once they conceded equaliser, they sort of went for the win, um, conceded a few goals on, on the counter attack. So that 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 scenario, then Genk were champions uh, as they were beating Antwerp two one going into the ninety fourth minute. In the ninety fourth minute, Antwerp needed a goal um, to win the league for the first time since ninety. 1957. Toby Alderweireld, um, capped over 100 times for Belgium, big player for Spurs, uh, could pick out a, um, a crossfield ball to Deli Alley many a times. Great, great defender. He scored um, a volley from outside the box to the top corner. Um, and uh, they also have former Spurs striker Vincent Janssen, who was their top scorer. So a couple of players uh, end up winning the league. But I think it's fascinating, Joyce. The reason I keep a close eye on it as well, because what happened last year, so it is really heartbreaking for Royal Union, who actually did really well in Europe this year, as well as might in the title mm-hmm. challenge. Um, but they, they actually finished top of the regular season the last two years and haven't won the league, um, which is really interesting. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Do you think, especially in Northern Ireland this year, where you did really have a, a really strong top four or five, do you think they could benefit from having like a separate, not just a top six and a bottom six, but maybe like a championship group with with, with a top four teams? Um, or do you think it's it's working well the way it is with the, you know, the top six and the bottom six in the twelve team league, Josh? No, to be honest, I think it works how it how it is like with the top six and the bottom six. Um, as the saying goes, um, don't fix what's not broken and. I yeah. think, you know, in, in Northern Ireland, I think it's absolutely fine the way it is. And I think, you know, when you get into the, that that top six group, I think it's always interesting just to see what happens. And, you know, as long as there isn't a runaway, like, leader. Um, so, like, every game in that is, is really, really competitive. But, I yeah, I think the top six is, is still the way to go 100% in Northern Ireland. I just think 
it's it fits our system a little bit better, I think. Um, if you know what I mean. I think the championship group's exciting. Don't get me wrong. I think it's 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 a really really cool thing to do. But like you said, like Royale first um, after the regular season, I think it's a little bit unnecessary. If you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, um, if I was a if I was a, a Royale fan, I would be extremely frustrated with the way that system works. Um, so if it was, for example, in Northern Ireland, if it was Cliftonville, um, yeah, I just wouldn't like that system at all. I just really wouldn't. So yeah, I think top six, bottom six is, is still the way yeah. to go here. So sticking with uh, the Irish Premier League, um, since we last spoke, there's been a major, well, in the last 24 hours, there's been a major transfer, uh, sorry, tra- uh, manager merry-go-round in, in well, the I would Irish Premier League. say a major managerial meltdown. In the, <laughs> in the Irish uh, Premier League, and especially coming from East Belfast and North Belfast. Um, yeah. Well, you're going to ask me the question, but you know. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Well, no, like you said. So, uh, so what? The probably really all sort of kicked off really just after a game you were at midweek there. Um, then Ghana were playing Anna, and then just after that game, it was announced that Dean Shields was leaving. Then Ghana. Um, then after that, it was uh, former Dungana manager leaving Glentoran to go back to go back there, which really, like you said, it melted down in East Belfast. You know, Glentoran finished the season really well, um, pushing on. You know, they spent a lot of money in the squad. They did really well, grabbed that European place. Mad Mick being replaced well there uh, by Rodney McGarry, but um, ex Linfield manager um, now now in charge of the Glens. That's that's never going to go down well, is it, Josh? No, I actually think it's a dreadful appointment. Um, you know what? There's Glenn Thorne fan listening here. that comes back to this podcast at the end of next season. If they win the Irish League, you can just all have a laugh. But I just think it's a horrendous appointment. I, you know, Warren Feeney, he, he, he didn't impress it welling this year. You know, he's just left the National League South. He's just left the National League South team in 16. And he's got a job, but you know, the second biggest club in the country. Sorry, Glen Torn fans. Um, but yeah, look, we all know Linfield have got the most trophies, but um, yeah, look, he's got a job at, at the home of the traditional top two clubs. Um the second, like I say, arguably the, the second biggest club in the country. So I think it's a I can't really fathom how he's gone from sixteenth in the National League South to a team in the Irish League who are one of the biggest in the country and are expected to really fight to, to for the title this year. I just uh, the, the fans aren't happy. I think it shows you just how disconnected the board are to the fans. They're just not listening to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think, you know, if Warren Feeney gets off to a poor start this season, I think if Glenn Torn lose a few early games, you know, I think it could be toxic in East Belfast. And you know what? It could be the same in North Belfast. Um, Jim Magilton expected to be appointed very soon. Um, could even be when the, before this podcast comes out that he, he'll be sitting there in, at, at Clinville. And from a Clinville perspective, like everyone knows, I support Clinville as well. Am I happy with that appointment? No, I'm not. I don't think it's ideal at all. Um, it sort of shows everywhere he's been has gone south and is not has not gone down well at all. And I think, you know, he comes with a lot of money as well. Um, 
which I would be really, really concerned about um, from a clinical perspective. And I think, again, it just shows you that the, no one's listening to the fan base. And again, if Cliftonville, if we start off poorly, I think it could come toxic quite easy, quite easily at solitude. So, um, yeah, for Glentorn and Cliftonville fans, it's been a whirlwind of the last, well, I would say 24 hours when it comes to Cliftonville, but it feels like it's been about, like, about a year since, yeah. uh, since, since, since we had the chance to you know, get our manager in, Chris Lindsay's turned down the job. Jim there was Jim Magilton part one. Um and then the the series we thought was closed and uh, here we go again for it's come, part two is, is about to happen and he is about to get appointed. Um Yeah, I mean yeah, I, 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 I do feel for you when you're you're being linked to all these managers and you keep getting knocked knocked back as a Spurs fan that that's definitely Familiar now, because um, we had that a few years ago when we ended up getting Nuno um, as seventh choice. But but no, there was a joke last week that um, I think it was Steve, Stephen Beckham had said that you know, Cliftonville were taking just as long to announce their manager as Spurs. But uh, by the time everyone listens to this, uh, potentially both both clubs will, have, will know their new manager, but we have somehow beat you by a few hours. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I know, I know you are familiar with the Scottish Premier League. Um, you've taken in Rangers and Celtic game too, too old for him derbies this year and I know you do speak speak highly of Ange Postecoglou um, so uh, yeah. you know my thoughts on, on, on it as well and I'm actually delighted that, that we've got him I mentioned that on, on the pod last week but what do you think he can bring to Spurs and just to mention as well credit to him as well he's actually the first the first Australian manager in the Premier League well, what, what can he bring to Spurs in the Premier League Josh? I think it's a Outstanding appointment, I really do, and I just hope the Spurs players don't think, "Who is this guy?" And oh, he's only managed Celtic and have that old attitude. I actually think it's an incredible appointment. I think you know, for prem for a Premier League football team, I think he's the perfect type of manager for it. You know, Poster Coglu, the the football that he plays, it's aggressive, it's high intensity, it's it's just outstanding, really. Um, I think he's a, a great great manager, and you know. I wasn't too familiar with him. Um, I know obviously he won that. He won the league with uh, Yokohama F uh, Marinos in Japan, and I knew that before he went to Celtic. But I just never thought we'd uh, thought when he came in at Celtic, Celtic were at their lowest. Um, that had been in years. Ten in a row was gone. Um, Rangers had won their first title in years. Title number fifty-five for Rangers, and then. I'm expecting, you know, Gerard to to really build with that Rangers team. And Paul Coglu comes in, you're thinking, not sure about this. And he just but he just completely rebuilt Celtic Football Club. Um, you know, he he's just we're just after the season 2022, 23, and he's just won a treble. Um, he beat Rangers in the League Cup final. He beat Rangers in the Scottish Cup semi final. So when the pressure moments were on, he delivered. Um. Yeah. Like, and look who you brought in, Kyogo Funarashi. Never heard of the boy. Like, I'll be honest, mm. never heard of Kyogo before he made his movement in uh, into Glasgow. Rayo Hatate. So he, his obviously, I know he managed in Japan, but his knowledge of the game and mm. sort of to interact with those players and to bring them to Glasgow and to build a team around those. Yeah, unbelievable manager, and I think he will do the same at Spurs. I just hope and I hope. That even if it does go a little bit shaky, 
I just hope that Daniel Daniel Levy has a little bit of patience and sticks with him because the uh, fan goes room wasn't built in a day and for me Postecoglou is very much a building manager he builds teams um, so I think you know that's what Spurs need they need a reshape um, and I think he can do that but he needs to be given time to be able yeah. to do that well I, Daniel Levy does get um, get a lot of stick and you know with the stage with myself there got the stage where I would have defended him in the past but one thing I would defend him with uh, in terms of giving managers time, I do think he was prepared to give both. He was an old Mourinho. He, he really loved, fought a lot of Mourinho and the same of Conte. I do think he was going to give them both time, but they were both just toxic managers where they just set light to the building before walking out. So both in both cases there, they, they basically had, you know, thrown... Well, not Mourinho more was prepared to throw the entire squad under the bus um, after we exited from the Europa League. Conte, it was different where he knew he was leaving anyway. So, and the players knew that as well, which wasn't ideal. But I do think the best thing about Ange Postacoglu is he doesn't think he's bigger than the club. And that's exactly what we need at the minute. We need just someone to come in that, that you know, that wants to be there. And, and it, there was talk it was going to be a two-year deal. I, I believe it is going to be a four-year deal. So, like I said, he needs time. I hope he does get that. Um, you mentioned there as well about you know tapping into different markets, uh, and he is used to working on a, d- a different type of budget. So, um, and Daniel even mentioned today about in- integrating the younger players as well and playing attractive football. Um, the Spurs fans' biggest gripe isn't winning trophies. You know they're well used to that now. They want the challenge for trophies. They don't expect to win them, but they do expect to play good football. If you hire win now managers and don't win now. But and you're losing games and conceded 60 goals this season. So he comes in with conceded 60 goals plus uh, the football's been bad. Um, I think it's a good time for him to come into Spurs with no European football, which obviously when you're what you, you do want to get sixth, you even want to get seventh, an extra competition is good. But we've seen in the past, um, I think it was Brendan Rodgers under Liverpool. I think he mounted, not to say we will, but he mounted a t- title challenge. Basically, he had more time on the change uh, on the training ground. Um, I think Conte, when he came into Chelsea, was the same. Um, it just gives you more time on the training ground. Um, the biggest mistake Nuno made when he came into Spurs was they, he sent like an A team, uh, kept the A team at home and sent a B team to a conference league game. And that just created a divide in the squad already. Um, but Nuno was like the seventh choice manager hired on the 30th of June. Good thing about Big Irons, he's like four for fifth choice, <laughs> and he's yeah. got an extra, he's got an extra couple of weeks. But we were getting into that territory where I was getting really worried. So can I go now and sort of relax? Now we'll get our director of football. We'll see what Irons thinks of the guys. But I've seen him there. I've seen some of the clips of him there where he's really challenged his team. Um, you know, all his clubs. Yeah. He does. He does demand a lot, Josh. So, um, again, hopefully that's something he can bring bring to Spurs because, like you said, you know, you, you hope. You know, Daniel Levy sticks by him, but I just hope the players react well to him. I think they should. No, absolutely. I think they will, and I think you know, and like you said, we want to. I said this word a few times on the on the on the show today, but I think you know, character is a massive, massive thing, um, and I think that's absolutely what he has. And um, there's a famous clip off from one of his first training sessions at Celtic, and he says, "We never stop. We stop at halftime, and we stop at the end of the game, and we celebrate." Um, so I think that shows you just how expectant he is and just what, how he wants to play. He's a winner. He's a, He mm-hmm. is a winner. Uh, and that's exactly what Spurs need. Well, we look forward to seeing how things unfold uh, with Spurs um, and Cliffenball. 
and all the other uh, teams that have changed manager, it will be a really interesting summer of, of, of uh, probably some more. Ma- you can't really get any more managerial changes in the Premier League now. Hopefully that's everyone done. But just on that, we will pick up on that in the next pod. We're going to um, dissect all the, the managerial merry-go-round in the Premier League on our next pod. It was a crazy, crazy season. Uh, and we look forward to welcome Luton. So uh, just, Josh, you at the Sheffield Wednesday game, you said... Um, um, you know, massive club, um, great fan base as well. But we haven't mentioned before as well, Sheffield United will be uh, joining um, Burnley in the Premier League as well. Is that That's a couple of our really, really clubs. I think they'll be tough to beat as well. So yeah. um, you mentioned as well, just to, to tie up there, you mentioned about Luton as well um, coming up. And I, I, I think Luton will um, will do okay in the Premier League just because there's a few basket cake basket case clubs down there who need to get a lot sorted out this summer. So it will be a really interesting summer. Uh, enjoy the good weather wherever you are uh, and we'll pick up with you next week goodbye for now